1: Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. What's the hungriest you've ever been? What's the most you've eaten at one time? Uh, and are you a fan of competitive eating? I am. My name's Ben.
0: My name's Noah. I'd say probably a, maybe a Korean barbecue situation or an old school buffet where you really feel compelled to get the bang for your buck. You know, you, you've you paid an amount. Korean barbecue especially because they just keep on bringing it. And there's all the little banchans, which I know you like, the little sides. So that's a... That's a recipe for gluttony there. You're Noel. Uh, That is who I am. It's true. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me and the (laughs) listeners. um, That would have been a real bone of contention if we had moved forward without saying each other's names, in addition to uh, super producer Casey Pegram.
1: That's right. Casey, what's the – you don't strike me as a particularly gluttonous dude. None of the three of us are. I'm probably the closest. But do you recall ever – Eating so much that you you felt like terrible about it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I've 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 been in those situations a few times. Nothing, uh, not like a competitive eating sort of. Uh, just uh, practicing on my own, you know, uh, just uh, <laughs> getting getting ready for the big day. Practicing That's right. is perfect. That's right.
0: What like maybe a family holiday situation yeah, or something. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
2: But I, uh, you know, I have had that experience of paying for an extremely expensive buffet and then feeling like. Uh, I got to get my money's worth. Uh, did that recently in Vegas, actually.
1: I knew it. The yeah. old Vegas buffet. That's yeah, and it's like we you. waited
2: like probably close to two hours to get up to the line, and only then did they tell us it's like a hundred dollars a head or whatever. And it's just like, well, we're going to be eating a lot of crab legs, and mm-hmm. you know, just trying to maximize our value. So. It's
1: insane. I've seen people. I've seen people get a ticket. Uh, for a Vegas buffet and go in at 11 and then literally hang out on the premises (sighs) long enough to just use the bathroom and get hungry
2: again. That's pretty much what you got to do. But um, we made the best of it. Is there a prime rib station? Uh, No, actually, I was disappointed. There was not much in the way of steak. Uh, But there were uh, other kind of uh, fancy seafood-based things. $100 a head, I would expect a prime rib. Yeah, yes. I was expecting like filet mignon or something. Mm. But... um, you know they they did have enough. Uh, I don't know if we actually covered our, our our outlay for that, but you know it was it was a good buffet anyway. Yeah, uh, you know
1: it's it's weird because the way that Vegas buffets are priced, they are making a ton of money off most people because most people are going to eat maybe a plate or two and then say, "Well, I want to go do the Vegas stuff, right? I want to see a show, go to a casino, or drive to the Hoover Dam." I. Uh, I I've been fascinated by competitive eating for a long time. As a, partici- uh, as a participant, not so much. As an observer, love it. Kobayashi, Sonia the Black Widow Thomas, uh, any number of people. What One thing that's interesting about – Eating, what makes us full is there's a thing called the um, – I think it's called the satiety response.
0: Have you mm. heard of this? Yeah. It does have something to do with like you got to trick your body into not telling your brain that it's full. And that's a big principle of competitive eating, right?
1: Yeah. the uh, That's why some, so much of it is timed. So years ago on a YouTube show I was doing that I will um, – I think you've seen it, Casey, but I'm I'm not going to share it with anyone. I did I did an experiment with the satiety complex, and essentially it means it takes your stomach about 17 to 23 minutes to tell your brain it's full, so you can eat like a god or a demon or a just a swirling vortex or black hole uh, for for up to that amount of time. Often before your body goes whoa, Buster uh some of this is going back out.
0: Right. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, you know, you think about uh Greek Bacchanalian feasts and all of the vomitoriums and all of that stuff. Is that is that real? I mean is that actually something that you can do to just continue indulging? Uh people have done it, but that is not healthy
1: for you. You know, that's that's not there's a reason we haven't evolved to eat that way, because ultimately it can uh it can damage your system, you know. Uh, food can be a tough thing. Um, it's it's strange too because we're, the more we learn about science, the more we're learning about things we usually just took for granted or even in some cases treated like – I know this is be a controversial word for some of us – treated like a freak show territory and that's where <laughs> – that's where we get to today's story.
0: Yeah, it's true. Today's story is about a gentleman by the name of, Casey helped us with this earlier. I think I'm, I'm going to do my level best. Tara.
2: Tara. Tara. Yeah. yeah, you got
0: it. Casey on the case. Casey on the case, indeed. Dun-dun. Which is apparently, uh, or uh, it's thought to be a nickname that came from a very popular French phrase, which I adore, Boom bon Tarra. <laughs> which means it's sort of like boom goes the dynamite. Uh, it, it, I think that's literally what it means, uh, used to describe fireworks or explosives. Um, and uh, this gentleman, who we only know by terrain, uh was born in 1772 in Lyon, and um by the time he was 17, despite um, reportedly being able to consume a, a quarter cow's worth of beef in a single day, he only weighed 100 pounds, which is something that's always fascinating to me about the world of competitive eating, Ben. Often those, uh, the folks that excel at it the best are pretty slim.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, it's true. Uh, there was a rumor for a long time that Takeru Kobayashi – one of the uh, one of the very slender competitive eating champions uh, was actually somehow mutated, and that his stomach could expand beneath his rib cage. Okay. So mo- for more storage space, that was never confirmed, as far as I know. But if you think about it, the bigger dudes are also their stomach has less
0: room to expand because there's more muscle. And stuff around right, it, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, but the thing about uh, Taara is he he went beyond, well beyond just consuming uh, beef uh, in copious amounts. Um, he had a penchant for eating just about anything. Uh, And and we'll get to it in a second, but this is actually a condition, a very rare condition known as polyphagia, um, which is characterized by insatiable hunger, uncontrollable eating. um, And also, uh, again, as pointed to by his uh, slender build, a a very, very high metabolism. Um, So he parlayed this into a career uh, with a traveling freak show. Yeah,
1: he had a rough, rough life. He was kicked out of home as a teenager and according to a couple of reports, he traveled around France, became a bit of a vagabond and at first he was traveling with bandits and sex workers and then later he became a sort of a warm-up act to another traveling show where he would just – he would swallow stuff. He was like that kid you hear about in preschool or elementary school who's eating you know, glue or something for a dollar or whatever, whatever the going rate for glue eating is now. I I don't know. Let us know. What right. was it back in your glue eating
0: days, Ben? I never ate glue. No. What
1: about you? What was it in your day? Uh,
0: well, I, I more sniffed glue, mm-hmm. um, but I never. Did people it. pay for that? Um, no, no, they don't. But that it's, was a passion project. That was a passion project. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. But, but I only ask you about the eating glue thing is because you uh, uh, came clean on this here very show about um, your goldfish eating days. So I assume maybe you had other experimental eating uh, periods. Uh, Polyphagia.
1: Indeed. Right. Yeah. No. No. Not that much. But I, I even in my wild days, I had nothing on a. Uh, Oh
0: gosh, no, none, few, few would or could or absolutely should.
1: Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he would, when he was doing the traveling show, as he's evolving toward this, uh, you know, this kind of freak show thing mentioned earlier, he would eat corks, stones, live animals. Uh, one time he ate a whole basket of apples, which I think. Whether or not that's impressive depends on the size of the basket, doesn't it? Because there could be uh, there could be a tiny basket, and there could be a gigantic like bushel load basket.
0: Did he eat the basket as well as the apples? Is my question.
1: Right, I think I think in that case he just ate the apples. But what a big finish to eat the basket! He also was uh, physically he was he had some unique characteristics, right? Like his lips are described in MessyAndChic.com, <laughs> with this great title, uh, this article with this great title, Whatever You Do, Don't Tell the French About Tarad. they say that he, almost, he had, like, almost non-existent lips, and he had a really wide kind of frog-like mouth. This I had a hard time believing. His mouth could hold 12 eggs at once. Hmm. Are they chicken eggs? Again, it's like the basket. Is it a quail egg? I right. can believe
0: that. Yeah, I mean, I, I could only assume that they mean uh, quail eggs. But... He also had another particularly stomach-turning uh, feature. Um, that's a pun. I'm also preparing listeners. This is pretty gross. Uh, his – you use the word deflated, Ben. His deflated stomach sac um, hung loose in such a fashion that he could actually wrap it around his body like a belt.
1: Yeah. Picture that for a minute. So you know how we, – we're talking about this off air. Probably the closest analog I could draw is if someone has – uh, been exercising, or for one reason or another, they lose a lot. They're they're a very big person. They lose a lot of weight very quickly. Your skin is just another organ, right? And so it can still hang down or deflate because there's it's uh, there's less stuff under it than there used to be. And for Tarar, from what what we can tell, it seems like he had been routinely eating uh, so much stuff to such an extreme that his stomach the flesh over his stomach had kind of naturally over time grown or expanded so that like like you said Noel when he's not eating it's it's kind of like an empty sack
0: you know yep yeah um and an extreme polyphagia is super super rare almost to the point where is isn't it kind of almost like looked on with a little bit of suspicion like is it really a, is it really a real thing
1: for some time, it had been considered anecdotal. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's some science we can get into uh, maybe toward the end because science does have an answer. Uh, and we have to tell you the story about Terer because – it's a story, spoiler alert, that you may be able to see in the modern world, as insane as it sounds.
0: Sure, sure. Um, so we'll definitely get to that that science, but uh, it is characterized, the concept of it, as someone um, just not being able to control their appetite at all. And the extra kind of disturbing feature is that it typically involves eating non-food items.
1: Yeah, it's, it's re- similar, but it's not like – Uh, Pica or pica, it's called, you know, when people eat clay, uh, which is a thing that happened here in the American South. Because it's unrelenting, it's an insatiable hunger. It's, it's kind of like a real-life version of the myth of Tantalus, you know, Tantalus who is up to his chin in uh, delicious liquids, and then he's got grapes so close to his face, and every time he tries to grab a grape or a fruit or whatever, and every time he tries to take a sip, it vanishes. It's, it, it feels like it goes beyond a medical condition to some sort of biblical curse.
0: Really? You'll eat and never be full. And that's exactly the case. Uh, and, and a big bone of contention within his household when he was a kid, his parents had become f- so frustrated with their inability to satiate him. And it was honestly a financial burden. Uh, he would cry and cry and cry even when he had just completed a massive meal. They finally kicked him out of his house. And that is when he uh, kind of began that uh, life as sort of a nomad uh, traveler um, and leagued up with uh, everyone from uh, sex work. To the thieves that you mentioned, and then eventually found his way into sort of the carnival lifestyle, um, where he was uh, he was taken in and welcomed. Um, he became a street performer in Paris on the Pont Neuf, and uh, that was. Uh, a, an area that was considered so uh, disreputable and seedy that even known uh, philanderer Benjamin Franklin uh, found it too sketchy to, to walk across. it. It is a bridge in Paris.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is not a super correct term nowadays, but what he was doing, his act was – Pretty much, it, it was a predecessor to the famous, you know, circus geek acts of yesteryear when someone would eat a live chicken. But he didn't just eat live chickens, and we have firsthand accounts of Terer's act. Here's a quote, and I warn you, uh, this is not uh, not super appetizing. He seized a live cat with his teeth, eventrated That's. The word for disemboweled, ventrated it, sucked its blood and ate it, leaving the bare skeleton only. He also ate dogs in the same manner. On one occasion, it was said that he swallowed a living eel without chewing it. That's disgusting.
0: Yeah, is that part of the show, or that stuff he just did in his own private alone times? Oh, no,
1: this was part of the show. Jesus, <laughs> that's that's why whenever you see a street show and someone says, "Who has a pet in the audience?" Ooh, just make for the hills.
0: Definitely, definitely don't don't offer up your your. Little Yoshitsu. Um, uh, that is really disturbing and well, oh, absolutely barbaric. And I can't believe people were into this. Uh I I would think, you know, that would have caused people to just, you know, turn in disgust. But I guess people's appetites were pretty disgusting back in those days.
1: And they had a, a, a different, less sanitized idea of entertainment So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1 800 Discover to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I
3: want people to hear my voice
2: and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story. Know
2: this. I ain't no
1: spy scale Like never before.
2: That's my daughter.
3: That's my Amy.
1: Big screen. I want
2: to be remembered for just being me.
1: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
3: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a man. Available wherever you will get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. If
1: you were the kind of person who would watch this guy eat random stuff, if that was the way you wanted to spend your afternoon you would have to be prepared for the smell, the aroma, the stench. Because although Tourette was a, you know, average-sized dude and, and pretty much on the skinny side, he had a big smell. He, <laughs> he had big smell energy. Uh, we found something in the London Medical and Physical Journal in 1819 describing his smell Noel, since I did the uh, eating the cat thing, do you want to
0: handle the stench part? Yeah, okay. Uh, I will I will just preface by saying that this stench followed him around his whole life. Uh, it was something that was reported as early as when he was 17 and would sneak into town to eat the cow's feed. Uh, and he, you know, again, had, had that slender build, but always uh, was followed around by this putrid stench. So here is that quote from the London Medical and Physical Journal from 1819. Uh, quote, I'm going to try my best to get through this. Tara was constantly covered in sweat, and from his body, a vapor arose, sensible to the sight, (laughs) and more so the smell. So wait, like stink lines?
1: Like, Like pig pen,
0: yeah. Oh, wow, okay. And more so to the smell. He had a wispy blonde hair and a large mouth surrounded by slender lips and discolored teeth. He frequently burped and farted and had constant, particularly odorous – Ben, why would you do this to me? Odorous bowel movements. I had to talk about the cat. I can't can't tell which one's worse. I think you're right, Ben. I think maybe the cat was worse. So, Casey, can we get some sound effects of burps and farts just real quick? Or maybe it is one of those like the ship sounds like from Ren and Stimpy when. One of those smelly-looking close-ups. A little okay. high-pressure farted. at the uh-huh. Oh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh. <laughs> Odorous bowel movements. Uh, that was my favorite member of the band, Gore. Um, which one would expect from someone whose diet consisted of massive amounts of both food and non-food items? All right, first of all, I want to know what one would expect from, from the, the smell of someone who ate non-food items? Depends on the food items. You know, right. If they're
1: just swallowing rocks, they'll probably uh, – pebbles, they'll probably just pass through and maybe yeah. not make a big smell. But if it's organic non-food items, I would imagine at some point it also interacts with your uh, your microbiome, mm-hmm. your, your gut flora. So you can get some pretty uh, disgusting stuff. Taner would have been set to be a, a street for performer, you know, and, and keep in mind uh there is a history in France of very successful performers doing things that might be disgusting to us, like professional farters, flatulists. Uh what was that guy's name? Le Petalman. Le pet man. Man. <laughs> So this is like this is not an unusual thing in the history of performance in France. And could Terrain have made a living doing this? Yeah, probably. But something intervened. As, as you said, he was born in what, 1772? In 1789, France was racked by the French Revolution. And so Terrain joined the French military. He didn't fight. He helped people out with day-to-day tasks. And then when he would help them, they would give him their rations and he would eat them. And eventually, he ended up in the military hospital because no matter what he ate, he was still hungry. And the physicians wanted to see how far they could go. So they quadrupled his rations. He ate those. He was still hungry. He also ate gauze that was intended, you know, to uh, patch up soldiers. And he ate any live animals he could find. And then one time, true story, they found him in a gutter during his time at the hospital, shoving fistfuls of literal garbage into his mouth. I, I want to also note, I don't think we hit this yet. Um, we have multiple accounts of people saying, yeah, other than the eating and the disgusting smell, he was a normal dude, but he was also super apathetic. Like he didn't seem very present a lot of times. Uh, he was just sort of like, I don't know, whatever, I'll eat it. <laughs> and uh, and I think that I, I'm building a case toward uh, what I think may have been a lower mental function. Like
0: I think maybe he wasn't uh, wasn't a full set of crayons. Oh, no. Oh, I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, definitely seemed to go hand in hand. Uh, and, and it's also part of the reason why I question the medical veracity of this quote-unquote condition. Um, it, it seems like it was largely a mental condition. And not that that makes anything any less real. I mean, psychological sure. conditions are are absolutely all-consuming for people, and they can really cause huge problems in people's quality of life and the way they interact with others, but I don't know that there's necessarily a physical or physiological thing that caused him to uh, to feel this way, other than maybe something that was going on psychologically. It reminds me of a condition that's uh, depicted in the, the show Better Call Saul, uh, where Saul Goodman's brother has this allergy to uh, electricity, um, but that's largely considered by the um, medical community to not be a real thing. Yeah, the EMF sensitivity, that's right? right? That's right. Yeah. So you're right, I mean, in the- the military, he was super problematic, um, but he also he, there were some creative uses for him. Right? There were attempts. There, there were attempts to make him uh,
1: useful. So the weird thing is, he also wasn't gaining weight. By the way, he still weighed. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier a hundred pounds back when he was seventeen. He still had that ballpark weight, and he looked. He was exhibiting signs of undernourishment. As a matter of fact, so they thought. All right, we're going to we're going to try to make this guy useful because he has something. It's not perfect, but he he has a
0: uh He's
1: got potential. He's got an unusual set of skills. That's right. That's
0: right. Uh, you know, I mean, might as well figure out how to make some use out of the guy. You got to hang around with smelly dude. Let's figure out how to take his uh, his gift, let's say, and, and put it to good uh,
1: militaristic use. Yep. And this is when—I'm going to muddle through this, Casey. I hope we're still friends at the end. This is when General Alexandre de Buhane said, you know what? No man left behind. We can give this kid something to do. France is now at war with Prussia. And (laughs) Terrar's weird digestive condition makes him the perfect spy. So he says, all right, I'm putting some uh, documents inside this wooden box. Terrar, you're hungry, right? Go ahead and eat this. And then we'll just wait for it to pass through your body. And then we'll have, you know, whichever soldier is in the most trouble that day go through his stool and then fish the box out to see if you can still read the message. This experiment worked, and so Tarare is given his first mission as a
0: spy. Yes, indeed. It was a uh, noble experiment, uh, I suppose you could say, um, one that wouldn't ultimately be repeated. But he was disguised as a Prussian peasant um, and asked to sneak by enemy lines to deliver a top-secret message to a captured colonel, uh, a French colonel. Um, the message was to be enclosed in a box that was then um, swallowed whole by Talal. Um But unfortunately, he didn't really make it uh, to his destination um, because of, of the aforementioned uh, putrid smell. Did not uh, lend itself to covert ops, did it, Ben?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it's, it's a good point. If you are a spy, you don't want to have a unique sort of... Uh olfactory tone, let's call it. I'm searching for diplomatic ways to use the word stink. Yeah, so they find him. He is strip searched. They whip him. They torture him for uh, most of a day. And then eventually he says, okay, I'm here to take a secret message. You know, I'm I'm sneaking it in my my gut and then people are going to find it in my poop. It's about the war. So the Prussians literally chain him to a toilet. And they just wait. Oh, God. For hours and hours. And he still stinks, by the way. Of course he does. And Tarara is, of course, starving. He has to wait until he has a bowel movement. Eventually, he does void uh, the wooden case. And he tries. This is, okay, this is very gross. This is according to the London Journal. After he couldn't hold it anymore and he passed the case, he swallowed it again to try to keep the enemy from getting it. They finally do get the box out of him, and all they find inside is evidence that this is a test run. The note in the little box just says, hey, let us know if this guy today delivered the box. And it turns out the general still, you know, didn't really trust the guy or this process enough. He needed some uh, confirmed success in the field.
0: Yeah, well, okay, good on him then, because this whole thing sounded like a real... Uh, recipe for disaster, if you ask me, and, and and sure enough, it was. God, can you imagine though, like swallowing it back down, and the whole the whole scenario? It's just like, ugh, it's like Reservoir Dogs gone awry or something, you know? Like chained to the toilet. I mean, I'm surprised no one's made some kind of sick version of this movie, like a uh, human centipede style or something. You know, this is this should this should this should exist. I don't know if I want to see it, but I, I would support its existence as a piece of schlock cinema. What do you think, Casey?
2: Yeah, this is this is ripe for uh, some, some schlocky uh, goodness. Did you say ripe? Yeah. Oof. Nice.
1: Oof. Yeah, that's the thing. The smell is a, a main character in this story. Maybe that's
0: what's holding people back. It's just the film technology. It could be a, a spiritual predecessor to the big uh, rock movie that did so this year. Her smell it can be called his smell. Mm. Yeah, it's just a thought.
1: Maybe people feel like they got tricked, though. I think you're right. Oh, man. I was looking up so many different synonyms for uh, smell, stink,
0: stench, that kind of stuff, uh, just to get through this. Anyhow, I'm a big fan of miasma myself, which I guess is a little bit refers to more of like a big picture smell, something that, you know, um, proliferates a bit farther. But I could, I could, cal- you know, categorize what he had as a miasma since so you could actually see the thing.
1: Yeah. He also had a, um, Miasma was, for a time, a medical explanation for the spread of disease. That's right. Which is very believable. We talked about that in the episode about the great stink of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, okay, so stinking, you know, of course, there's fetid. Ooh. Somebody smells fetid, right? That's bad. Uh, there's also, of course, uh, spoiled There's spoiling. Uh, and I was trying to find a particular word for... That stench, that sulfurous stench of rotten eggs. You guys know what I'm talking of course. about? Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't find one. Oh, and there's also funk, reek, fustiness, malodorousness. Oh, yeah. Odiferousness, which is kind of fun, and rancidity. Yeah, it's rough. But anyhow, these are all just different words to describe what was happening. The Prussian general, by the way, is severely PO'd at Tarad, and he says, hang the guy. Hang him, hang him immediately. I can't believe I let that guy go. What was I thinking? A poop spy. But once he had uh, calmed down, he said, You know, I feel bad because I see this guy. He's obviously, again, starving his whole life. And he is openly sobbing. He's blubbering at the gallows. And so he takes pity on Tarai and he says, Okay, I'm going to, you guys just give him a, a very, a very thorough spanking, essentially and go back to the french lines so he returned and he was just doing the thing he did earlier he's just like you know running coffee
0: for people Yeah, the Prussians uh, essentially just dumped him back uh, near that military hospital uh, behind French lines. Um, And he, you know, made his case to his superiors, which I don't think would have been too difficult to make, that he was not cut out for the spy's life and uh, that he should, you know, not be asked to do any more secret missions. He just wanted to be a regular uh, smelly foot soldier. (laughs) Right, exactly. And... He had kind of a patron, and a guy named
1: Baron Percy at the hospital. And Percy tried to satiate Terrar. He gave him uh, different treatments that were meant to assuage his appetite, and none of them were successful. I think uh, they tried tobacco pills, straight-up vinegar, wine vinegar, and laudanum. And the, the thing about the laudanum is, I believe, opiates do actually cause constipation. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where he was going? I don't maybe, know. Maybe, or, you
0: know, I can't imagine that it would have been particularly uh, comfortable to have all this weird crap floating around in your guts and all of the long-term damage, which we'll find out, you know, was the case, that it would have done to his insides. Um, I imagine that the torah must have been considerable pain a lot of the time, but you don't really see that in the reports, but maybe that was where he was coming from as well with giving him a little something to ease it.
1: Yeah, and... This takes a morbid turn. We were having fun in a gross way in the beginning of the episode, but not only did these treatments not work, his condition appeared to accelerate. There was no food that was enough. He had gone past eating trash. During one uh, episode, he was actually caught drinking blood that had been drawn from other
0: patients in the hospital and even noshing on some bodies in the morgue. I mean, yeah, at this point, it's just becoming sad and really, really, really disturbing. He's almost kind of like taking on this kind of Gollum-like quality where he is just, you know, becoming more and more inhuman. And that is when the disappearance of a 14-month-old baby began to generate rumors uh, that Tarar had, had somehow... Gotten a hold of of the baby and and actually eaten it, uh, I mean you can't make this stuff up, man. It's uh, oof. And that was at the that was you know it was at the very hospital that he was admitted to.
1: That's right. And at this point, it's finally too much for Baron Percy. Tadad has in his mind crossed a line. Even if the historically we can't one hundred percent confirm this story of the fourteen month old baby disappearing, everybody believed it in the hospital. Right. And you can see why. It's not like they just came up with a cockamamie conspiracy theory. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes.
2: people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story. Know
2: this. I ain't no Spice
1: Girl. Like never before. That's
2: my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: On the big screen. I want
2: to be remembered for just
1: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
3: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with
1: So Baron Percy kicks Tarar out the same way that his parents kicked him out was when he was a teenager, and he has to fend for himself from then on. He falls off the radar. He's off the grid for like four years, and then one day Baron Percy hears from him again. He uh, Terrar has turned up at an, in a hospital in Versailles.
0: Yeah, and he was at this hospital because he was, in fact, uh, dying. Um, this is, is something that I would have thought would have happened much sooner, just considering, you know, all of the crazy stuff he put in his body and that he put his his, uh, his digestive tract through. I can't imagine that he was healthy um, at all. And uh, Baron uh, Percy, who was Baron Percy to him in the first place, Ben? It's kind of
1: his, his patron his uh,
0: benefactor at the hospital. I see. So he he was with him at this point, um, and he died ultimately, Tirao uh, did, uh, of tuberculosis in 1798 at the young age of 26. Um, and this is probably one of the most... Uh, nauseating parts of the story, but uh, they, you know, he was absolutely a a, uh, fascination and something that medical science could potentially learn something from. So, and and of course, just just an autopsy is something that happens anyway, but he was uh, cut open and there are some descriptions of his autopsy that are uh, really, really uh, graphic and just, you know, they really paint a picture of what was going on inside this man's body.
1: So I guess this one falls to me. You huh? want to split it, or uh, <laughs> that's,
0: <yeah. laughs> that's the setup? Uh, let's see how long it goes. Uh, all right, there's two, so yeah. I'll, I'll do the second one. Let's go back. And okay,
1: forth, yeah, 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 that's that's
0: equitable. And this is from allthat'sinteresting.com. These accounts, but this is official, very real um, accounts of what this autopsy was like.
1: The entrails were putrefied, confounded together, and immersed in pus. The liver was excessively large, void of consistence, and in a putrescent state. The gallbladder was of considerable magnitude. The stomach, in a lax state, and having ulcerated patches dispersed about it, covered almost the whole of the
0: abdominal region. Mm. Um, His stomach, they found, was so massive that it very nearly filled his entire abdominal cavity. His gullet, likewise, was Uh, unusually wide, and his jaw could stretch so wide open that, as the reports put it, a cylinder of a foot in circumference could be introduced without touching his palate. That's insane. And they don't complete this autopsy. Spoiler alert. Eventually,
1: the smell of, uh, of the corpse is too much, and they have to stop. They have to throw in the towel. But at this point, they do learn something. They do have a takeaway, and they say, well, he wasn't making this up. Every weird thing he ate, everything he did uh, was a result of this genuine, constant need to eat. He had been born with a strange body, and as as they say in allthat'sinteresting.com, he had been cursed to a life of eternal hunger. And let's— at this real quick for the science, right? Because you said we're going to follow up on that. Now, as you said, he had polyphasia of some sort. So it turns out it's quite possible that Terrar had something called Prater-Willi syndrome. Have you heard of this? Did we talk about this off air? No, I don't think so. It's, uh, it's a genetic disorder wherein some specific genes lose their function and it results in a couple of things. So we can build a case for Prader-Willi because people afflicted with this are constantly hungry. They have mild intellectual impairments, and they will eat tons and tons of stuff. But here's the thing. People with Prader-Willi syndrome tend to grow larger. They become obese. And that never happened to Tarar. He was – He was kind of a stick the whole time, except when he was eating and his stomach inflated. Right,
0: right. I mean, and then it just snapped back into like a weird gelatinous kind of hanging satchel of skin. Whew. It's a shame. It's a shame. The whole thing's a shame. I mean, you know, and look, there is some medical uh, research behind this condition. Um, I I didn't mean to to poo-poo it entirely. I think there's some, you know— controversy behind it, but a guy named Cindy McElroy, um, who's a doctor based in Huntington, West Virginia, said that there could be more of an underlying um, condition uh, that is pretty common, actually, just maybe an extreme version, called hyperthyroidism, which increases metabolism and causes diarrhea, sweating, and thin hair. I actually have hypothyroidism, which is an underactive thyroid. This would be an overactive thyroid that would cause your metabolism to just balloon out of control. Um, and, and, and that that does kind of make sense. Uh, so I wonder if that's had something to do with it. Um, Dr. Uh, McElroy seems to think so. Um, and it would cause a lot of what uh, Tarar suffered from some of his symptoms like diarrhea, sweating, and thin hair. But he wouldn't eat at live animals. People with hy- hyperthyroidism don't automatically no. snack. They don't have cat snacks. They do not. They do not. And that's why I tend to think that there's some combination of a, uh, of a mental illness and a some kind of undiagnosable at the time uh, physical ailment that sort of perfectly synergize into this bizarre and aberrant condition, you know? Mm-hmm. And people
1: have studied this guy. Medical historians have contributed quite a bit of literature to him. Jan Bondesen one of these medical historians, works at the University of Cardiff in Wales, and Dr. Bonneson says we will likely never see anything like tarar again. Part of it is because medicine has improved so much over the centuries, uh, and, you know, the hope is that if someone with this condition or with this set of problems emerged, they would be diagnosed and treated appropriately, right, instead of being... Pressed into being some sort of poop spy, a phrase that will haunt me now. As it should, Ben. <laughs> As, As it, it should, should haunt be. us all. <laughs> so, so this is uh, the story of Terah. And the next time that you are hungry, or the next time that you are uh, you have eaten too much, maybe, and you're satiated, like our our good friend Impossible Prime Minister Super Producer Casey Pegram, <laughs> look around the buffet. And thank your lucky stars that you are one of the people with the ability to get full.
0: And hey, Tarar actually lives on in our popular culture and our zeitgeist. Uh, he was a pretty popular uh, subject of memes um, last year around August of 2019. There's a piece in uh, New York Magazine called The Hot New Meme is Tarar, citing uh, a Tumblr um, that featured a, a quite a few memes referencing um, Tarar and his uh, supposed uh, consumption of a 14-month-old French baby. So if you want to check that out, you can go to nymag.com slash intelligencer slash 2019 slash 08 slash dash memes tumblr squidwordhtml I just wanted to read a really long, obnoxious URL.
1: <laughs> so uh, I, I do want to point out this as well, uh, and we'll we'll need to bleep this, so use your imagination. Someone posted on Tumblr, I know Terraro is the joke of the hour, but it's so incredibly messed up how even now no one has any concrete explanation for what his condition was, and a case like that has not been recorded since. Like, literally, what the f***? He's like a really X-Man. Which
0: is kind of true, you know? And uh, one of them is uh, from uh, an account by the name of uh, Johnny Joe's Terrible Table, Uh, and it the caption reads, When you're a 14-month-old French infant in a military hospital in the late 18th century, and that weird hungry guy comes into your room, and it's a picture of Squidward uh, from SpongeBob sitting up in bed with uh, his eyes wide.
1: Boom, boom, ta indeed, huh? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, so I think that's, that's a good place to leave it, uh, in the present.
1: Yes, in the present and right around lunchtime. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, I, maybe I'll hit up the buffet somewhere. Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram.
0: Thank you to Gabe. Thank you to Christopher. Thank you to Eve's. Huge thanks to uh, Research Associate Gabe Loser, uh, Jonathan Strickland, the notorious quizster, um, wherever he may lurk. Uh, I hope uh, he's okay. If you want to check us out on social media, you can do so by joining the Ridiculous Historians Facebook group uh, on Facebook. All you got to do is name me or Ben or Casey or some combination of our names or some kind of reference. It lets us know that you're a real person and you are somehow aware of what this podcast is. It's as easy as that. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter and all of that stuff. If you want to find us individually, you can find me exclusively on Instagram. I am at HowNowNoelBrown.
1: Uh, I also want to point out that you could just get a horrible pun. I've heard some horrible puns recently. Uh, like, no matter how much you push the envelope, it's still stationary. Uh, That's so, good. yeah, yeah. So, I would let you in for that.
0: A bot could never come up with that pun.
1: Not yet, but we live in the future. Uh, and of course, also shout out to uh, Alex Williams, uh, our composer who also has a podcast of his own that history fans will enjoy called Ephemeral. Check it out uh, while you're on the internet. As Noel said, we are people in our own right. You can follow me on Twitter, where I'm at, Ben HSW. You can follow me on Instagram, where I am, at Ben BenBolin. Uh, and, oh, Noel. Yes, sir. Thanks to you. I think I think we're both pretty lucky that we can be satisfied with, you know, just a good Sammy. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I,
0: love I love a good... I know you're... Yeah. Have you have you made it through your quesadilla phase, or are you still I think I'm back in, man. I just squarely. can't quit them. Yeah. Is it a
1: sandwich, though? See, this is... You know, it's 2020. Why are we still stuck in
0: labels? I would say it functions as a sandwich. I would tend to agree with you, Ben. Let us know what you guys think. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows
1: you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve.
0: Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate
1: ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, of rolling vineyards and castled hills, into the heart of
0: timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything.
1: Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com.
2: Rev up your
0: thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited time bundle for just $49.99.